since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too good to be true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey, and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, happy Friday. We are taking just a quick break from the Real Sober Mom chats I wanted to share. So my friend Lane We actually live in the same town. We are social friends, and I'm just so excited because she started a podcast with her twin sister now who lives in Puerto Rico. So it's such a cool concept that they're identical twins, and they really are identical, you guys, um, living 2,000 miles apart. They started a podcast called Double Trouble, and they talk about just hard conversations. They're bringing a lot of, uh, you know, things that we don't normally talk about and what we have to navigate as women, as moms. They're bringing those to the forefront. And I'm really excited that they asked me to come on the podcast. And I loved it so much that I thought I would share it over here too. So today is a special episode. This is me on Double Trouble. And then if you're new here, you get to hear a little bit of my story and just how I think about sobriety too. I think it's a good overview. And you will also love Nell and Lane, and you definitely have to check out their podcast and listen to all of their other episodes because they're just so funny and relatable and insightful. And I love when women talk about what's real and when we uh, just don't pretend everything is okay all the time and perfect and that perfect is the goal. And uh, yeah, so they are talking about all of it and I love it so much. You will love them too. Also, I talk a lot about the cafe in this episode and I'm very excited. Launching on Sunday, we have a new Sober Mom Life membership. I cannot wait for you to experience it. We're going to have two levels. We will have the community, the Sober Mom Life community at $5.95 a month. 
That is where you get to connect and chat. It's kind of like Facebook, but better. And then we'll have the cafe. And the cafe, as always, is the highest level of sobriety support. We have our weekly Zoom meeting six days a week. We have book club. We also have the feed like Facebook and the chat. So the Discord goes away. And this is going to be just a much better platform for us as we grow because we are growing. And I'm just continually blown away by just how amazing you guys are and and that you're supportive of this space and that you're finding community over there. And I'm just so excited. So stay tuned for that. I will share the link on Monday so you can come and join the new space. And um, if you are just a new member of the cafe and you're like, wait a second, I just joined. What does that mean? Don't worry, because we will be telling you all about it through email. So you will be getting an email from me and with a specific link. So fear not, we will make it through this transition. But I cannot wait to share the new space with you and meet you over there. And I'm excited for you to hear this episode. Enjoy this episode of me on the Double Trouble Podcast with Nell and Lane. Hello. There you are. I'm dying to talk. Wait, one second. Really quick. Hang on. Un café con leche. Gracias. And what's going on, girl? Oh, trouble. Trouble in paradise. Welcome to Double Trouble, a podcast narrated by identical twins living in organized chaos, trying to figure out what's up and what's down in this world, all while living 2,000 miles apart. Join the combo, my friends. We are here, Lane and Nell, Curtis, Double Trouble. Welcome back in the house. We're so excited because we have our third interview guest today who we've been really gearing up for, ramping up for this. We have Miss Suzanne Where-I on the podcast today. Suzanne, you want to say hi? Yay, hi. Suzanne. Good pronunciation, Lane. Eight, you did it. Plus. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, uh, she is known on Instagram as My Kind of Sweet. She has had a podcast for two years now, The Sober Mom Life. And we want to bring her on today because she really, honestly, the moment I met her, she really piqued my interest because she stands for a lot of the things that we want to do on this podcast, which is the idea of bringing topics to the table that are not always to discuss, easy to, to discuss at a girl's dinner or over coffee. They're provocative. They sometimes can be uncomfortable. And that's why we want to have her on the podcast today. She speaks to us because she chose to live a bit outside of the box and on her own terms. She did what she thought was best for her, and even if it wasn't that popular choice. And that is incredible. You guys, look at that. <laughs> I'm, I'm flattered. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. No, we're flattered. Oh, good. <laughs> Suzanne, I literally said to my sister, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's like an oversell to say that it's revolutionary, but I said, you know, you're a bit of a renegade because you are not only rejecting conventional behavior, but you are opening the door for others to consider it. And that's really a beautiful thing. Thank you. I know we call it avant-garde in the sober mom life in the cafe and in the group. We're like, you guys, we're avant-garde. It's funny that you say that we talk about things that no one likes to talk about because the first time you and I like hung out a couple of months ago at our dinner, right? We just started, we talked about like 
everything, everything. And it's like, hi, nice to meet you. Okay, here's my life story. Here's my trauma. You know, like I am so much more comfortable talking about just like the real, the real shit. And so, yeah, when you asked me to be on here, I was like, of course, no brainer. Let's talk about the real stuff. You also start to realize that at this age, it doesn't happen all the time. Like those moments and those connections or that kind of authenticity sharing is super special when it happens. It's like a perfect storm. It's not, it doesn't happen at every meeting. The chemistry, the chemistry. Yes, the chemistry we spoke about. Oh, the chemistry. (laughs) So let's just start really kind of at the beginning. We want to know how how this started for you. You know, uh, I know that you started in fashion and that was your, your, your influencer. So I started my kind of suite in 2015 after the birth of my first daughter. I was rocked with postpartum anxiety, OCD, intrusive thoughts. I was just struggling. And I needed an outlet for my brain. My brain was trying to trick me in all the different ways that it can in postpartum OCD. And so I was like, okay, I need to like put this to good use and think about other things. I need to reconnect with myself. And so then I started my kind of suite because I have a fashion background. And so then I was like, okay, this gives me an excuse to dress up. And, you know, I felt so stupid just like standing in my driveway with the tripod and like, you know, trying on outfits and like taking photos of myself. And it felt a little, uh, you know, self-indulgent and all of the things. But I was like, fuck it. Like, this is what I need to do as a lifeline, you know, like, I don't care if anybody rolls drives by and sees you while they're yeah, in their, like, their pajamas and their slippers right. driving. Yes. Again, not, not taking the pulse in the room. You're like, this is what I feel like I need to do. It might not be the most popular thing, but yeah, no. And, and I, it's, there was for sure like eye rolls and stuff like, who does she think she is? And it's like, no, that it's just so not about that. It was about a lifeline. And then when I started to open up about postpartum anxiety and OCD, and I shared my story pretty early in, maybe a year in after I had gotten on Zoloft, I had gotten help. I had started to tell the truth about how I was struggling. And then it started to become about more than just fashion and style. And it started to be like, what if as moms, we just told the truth and we stopped pretending that we're all okay? Because I think that that just does a disservice to all of everybody and to our kids because we're not all okay. And, you know, we can look really pretty and polished on the outside, but what if we all just told the truth? And I really started to see the response from moms then. And like the community started to build and I was like, okay, this feels good. Like it feels better for me than, I mean, I could talk about a sweater, you know, a neutral sweater all day long, but I needed a little bit more. I needed to be like, okay, but also can we talk about like, how hard motherhood is and that sometimes like you just want to hide from your kids, but that's okay. Yeah. And um, like you love them, but you just need a break or to hear your own thoughts, yeah, you know, yes. things like that. Or to have a, have something for yourself. Like, I think that's part yes. of it too, is like the whole motherhood, like leaving the a part of yourself behind and be like, well, how can I still access this other part? Like the other part isn't dead. Totally. And, and we're not selfless. Right. And, and like, I felt like, wait, I'm still here. Like I'm still just as here as I've always been. I have to take care of myself still. Yeah. But what was the, how did you know, like when, when you say like you started getting this feedback, was that because people were personally reaching out to you or just connecting mm -hmm. through the social media? 
it was really online on Instagram and on the blog that I then I would get messages every day like, oh, my God, I thought I was the only one. And if there's ever been a drumbeat of like feedback that I get and messages that I get, it's always I thought I was I thought it was just me. Like and wow. that is the danger when we don't talk about the real stuff. Yes. And when we pretend everything's okay. It's so interesting that you say this because I always said that even in like the baby making years, it's like if anybody, like if you experience a miscarriage before, like if you talk about it, you're like, hot diggity dog. Everybody's had a miscarriage. Right. Like you, you don't, but if you don't talk about it, you don't know because it's like everybody's holding like a secret or something, well, that's, it, you know, selectively yeah, private, which is also But that's again okay. something that's also uncomfortable. It's bringing up something that makes people uncomfortable. Lane, you and I have talked about this with loss and grief and death. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's very uncomfortable to talk about sometimes that our father passed away because then people don't know how to respond to it. So yeah, in the same way, it's like, it's hard to say, well, I'm good, but I'm not like doing amazing. I'm having a hard time in my motherhood and my process right now. I'm not stimulated. I'm going, I have a lot of anxiety. Like that's very hard to bring up because yeah. people don't and know I, how to respond. And I think that in motherhood, you know, that's probably when we're first taught just to keep it to yourself is that first trimester of pregnancy. You don't tell anybody. You don't tell. And and that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part of pregnancy is getting pregnant. And then that first trimester for many women is the hardest, but we're in it alone. Yeah, you're nauseous. You're terrified if maybe you do have a chemical pregnancy or a miscarriage or, and if it's your first one, you don't know what's going on, the beta numbers, all of that stuff. But we're taught like, nope, you don't tell anybody. And so then what do we do? Then we go inside and then it's all so much anxiety and fear and we're just taught not not to deal with it. And why don't we share it? Because we might lose it. But what are we going to need when if we lose it? So then we're just dealing with that on our own too, of like, okay, well, I guess I'm just grieving this on my own. My husband doesn't understand, right? And so it's mothers have been, we bear this like cross of just, no, just suck it up. You, you got to deal with it. And we really saw that in the pandemic when our villages were gone and we bore the brunt of being the teachers and, and keeping our family safe when we had no idea what was going on. Up and being upbeat, being upbeat about it. Yes, being Creating upbeat safe and spaces hopeful. for our families. Yes, and and awake, right? I was so tired. I had a three month old, <laughs> a two and a half year awake. old, and a five year old. Right, like I, oh I just God. needed to be awake. Women and moms specifically have been taught not to share, not to vent. We can't complain about motherhood. If we do complain about motherhood, there has to be the caveat, like, but I'm so grateful and I love my kids. And it's like, no, no, no. We know that. Yeah, like when my husband complains about his job, right? Even though he's the boss, he he doesn't he doesn't feel the need to say, "But I'm so grateful that I have this and I know I chose this and it's fine." No, he just gets to fucking vent about his job, right? And about how he spends his day. And no one says like, "Well, yeah, but you chose this." I mean, you chose it. You chose to work. Wow, that one's definitely, definitely been used on me. I feel like a few times that you chose this. Right. And also that I like hear those words in my sleep. I know. And it's (laughs) like you wanted a third. Right. (laughs) And just the fact I can I can want it and I can love my third to to all the ends of the earth. And he could I can also be very frustrated and say, like, this is too hard today. 
And I think in the pandemic, when, you know, moms felt so much pressure, then, you know, of course, when we've been taught to be quiet and not to talk about it, alcohol really comes in handy not to care when, when you care so damn much, but there's nowhere for it to go. It's like, no, just drink this, just drink this. And then you don't have to care. You don't have to figure out how you feel and what you need. Just drink this. during the pandemic that it was a way of like breaking up the day. It'd be like, it's five o'clock. It was a way of like deciphering between the the part where you're just trying to like survive. And I don't want to say something suffer. to look forward to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. We yes. needed ways to break. We felt like we needed ways to break up the day. And it wasn't necessarily a matcha. wasn't like maybe doing the cut for a lot of people. We weren't getting in the cars and driving. So I also kind of enjoyed, I was like, oh, well, I don't have to take the kids to 17 practices. I can actually have a drink. I was sitting and we were relaxing at home. It was kind of like celebratory. Full disclosure, we're not sober moms. So like we no, got to be real yes. careful about this. <laughs> Just no, I know here. that. <laughs> and and this is, Lane, I told you, I think during our dinner, you know, and I was like, yeah, you guys drink it. I am never, ever, ever, ever judgmental or shaming moms who drink ever. And the only thing, like my whole mission is more of a an informed consent. And when moms are saying like, I'm so anxious, I'm so tired, I'm so overwhelmed, I'm so, I, I look at a mom and I see like, oh my God, like I know what can make this easier for you. Like I know that the alcohol that you've been told and that we've been taught helps, I know that it makes everything so much harder and then it's highly addictive. And I know that you are the target market. Like I know we as moms, their big alcohol spends billions of dollars. That's why every every wine label now is pink. Like that's why like there's something called mom water. Like they need us to get addicted. Something called mom water. That is nuts. I know they said the quiet part out loud. It's called mom water. Like it's, it's a thing. It's in Target. Like it's bananas. They need us to get addicted. What I always envision when I think about moms drinking and just women overall, because I, I know who's b- behind big alcohol, it's men. And so I picture these like four men in like black suits, right? Kind of like men in black, you know, where it's just like sunglasses, like just big, powerful men in suits. And like a mom, like struggling at the kitchen counter, just like crying. And then them just like pushing a glass of wine and going, shh, and like, just drink this. We don't want to hear. No, no, no. We don't want to hear what you need or how you feel. Drink this so you won't care. You're, like, you're not going to care. And the problem is that then it's not addressed because moms have feelings that matter. And like, but we have been taught like we're selfless. We don't matter. That's where alcohol comes in handy because it will make you not care. The problem is it makes you not care about everything. It's like a little bit of a pacifier in these situations, it seems. Right. And when really moms do have needs that then continually aren't being met when we're just drinking and reaching for wine and being like, I'm so overwhelmed. I, you know, whether that is like, I tell my kids, I'm like, I need a timeout. Me, I do. I need no one to touch me for 10 minutes. I'm going to go in my closet, right? I need whatever. I need a bath. I need to go for a run. I need yoga. I need a dance party. I need to read a book. I need you to just leave me the hell alone for the rest of the night and ask your dad if you need anything. But like, we can't even get there if 
wine comes in because then we're just like, no, I need wine. Okay, good. Now I don't care. I've never been an emotional drinker because for me, I don't like to to do anything to soothe myself. I, it, for me, it's better. Like, even if I, I remember when I was younger and going through bad breakups, I'd be like, I wouldn't even drink coffee because I'm like, it's too much of a stimulant for me. It makes me feel falsely happy. I'd be like, I'm just going to drink tea. I'm not going to drink alcohol. I need to feel my emotions. I got to get through like the first two weeks. I, I felt like intuitively, like that didn't work for me. But um, so me, I'd rather drink when things are good, like have a cocktail to celebrate. I don't like to do it anecdotally to feel better. However, what you described is a real thing. And my sister and I have both witnessed, you know, we're from Wisconsin too. We've witnessed the normalization of it, the, the blurred lines, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say the drunks, you know, I mean, it's just, it's so, so we know that type of behavior and it's been very normalized and, and all those things. So what made you get to the point that you were kind of like, okay, you know what, this isn't making me feel better. It's so interesting because Lane, I think your relationship with alcohol is rare, right? And and it's held up as normal, as kind of a take it or leave it, just like one and done. That's rare. That is not normal. A normal relationship with alcohol would be we take a break, we drink too much, we make rules, we try to moderate, right? We say, okay, I'm only drinking Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'm only having two glasses of wine. I'm drinking water in between. I, okay. No wine that gives me a headache. It's the sugar, <laughs> only beer. Right. But what does so that fine. mean? That, okay. I, I fully see so, that in our culture. Yes. Yes. And that is the normal drinker. Right. And this is what hopefully my book will be about is this myth of moderation and the lie of rock bottom when we're making these moderation rules. And that's what I was doing. And from the outside, I mean, yes, I was a party girl in my, in college and in my twenties and I loved it. And like, you know, it's, um, it was, yeah, you had your wild moments. Yes, we were too, by so, the way. So yeah. don't, don't I mean, let me pretend I wasn't so that. it's so fun. Yeah. Right. And I, I, there's, I felt shame back then, but now looking where I am now, I'm like, no, that was, that was then, right? I'm talking about- It was part about, of your process too. Yeah. And, and as we get into then, I think motherhood has a really big thing to do with it. And then, in, you know, I'm 43. I stopped when I was 39. And so, and I didn't know any of this when I stopped. Yeah. You didn't, you weren't thinking deep into the future. Were you just doing it like in the moment? I'm just doing this right now. I had no idea that I qualified for sobriety. When I stopped- oh, I love that you say that, qualified for sobriety. Yeah, I, I didn't think that that was for me. I, I thought that sobriety was for, you know, quote unquote, alcoholics, which I don't even know what that is because maybe addicts, right? And so like, I think of like Meg Ryan in When a Man Loves a Woman. And like, I thought that in order to qualify for a full life without alcohol, or just a life without alcohol, that you had to lose a lot to it. What What is it? Um, I don't know. Maybe, you know, it's nebulous. Yeah. Do you have to like, get in a car accident? Right. Do you have to lose you, a, real, a, or, or a husband? You, or do you right. have to be like, drinking a, an alcohol bottle out of a paper bag every morning to totally. breakfast? Like that's yes. what I think sometimes people like want that. That's like, that's the alcoholic, yes. nothing else. Like what is the sign, right? And so then when I, I went to a party on actually four years ago today, you, Lane, Come you on. probably know whose party because yes, I'm four years sober. Yeah. yeah. And I had had a three-month-old baby and I was just 
after every baby, I was like trying to like get back into drinking because I would hate the taste and I didn't ever miss it when I was pregnant. And, but I was like, well, obviously I got to drink alcohol because I'm adult, right? Like this is just yeah. what we do. You're like, going to party. If you're right, at a party, like, you have to drink. We have to drink alcohol. There was just no question. And so then I was like getting back into it. And it was one of those parties that like the champagne glass was never empty, right? Because it was a fancy party and and they're just like, you know, waiters are like flitting in, flitting out. And I don't yeah, and blame, lose, like I loved count. it. I was in, yeah, totally. You lose count very quickly when someone's continuing to refill your glass. You're like, yes. And I loved four. it. And actually, Lena, our, our mutual friend was there too. And I was like, you're not drinking. She's like, I'm breastfeeding. I'm like, I'm breastfeeding too. Who cares? You know, like I was just like, you know, like, no, drink with me. Tell me this is okay. And so, yeah, I, I ended up blacking out, which I hadn't done in a very long time. And I nursed my baby in the night. I had to have. He was three months old, but I don't remember it. And I woke up and I was still in, it was a pajama party. So I was still, I was in the pajamas. <laughs> I was like, well, that that's confusing. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very confusing. And so fun. Like, and I'm normally like a morning person. I love mornings and I love being the first one up to like greet my family. I love hellos and goodbyes. Like I'm just, a ve- I'm like, good morning, like with hugs and, you know, and I could hear everybody already downstairs and like the, my life and everything that I had to, I was just missing out. And I like, it was the amount of shame and regret and, uh, like, how could you? What is wrong with you? All of these like things that I had had those voices before and it, I didn't realize it at the time, but I do now, is that that was kind of a constant voice in my head and it, it didn't even have to be a blackout drunk. It could just be, you know, I said I was going to have two and I had three. Or I said I was going to have three and then I split the bottle with and then we ordered another one. But I wasn't, you know, this wasn't every week. I could go months without it. It just it just wasn't what I thought would qualify for me for sobriety. And so then I was laying on the couch all day long. And so I just said to my husband, I'm done. And as the words were coming out of my mouth, I was like, what the, what are you saying? Like, what do you, really don't committed? do it. No, <laughs> don't, like, say it back. don't say it. And I think he just said like, okay, yeah. I'm just like, you know, <laughs> like, right. I'll that when I see it. Yeah. yeah like that's going to dissolve as soon as this hangover does. Right. And I just got up and something happened. People call it a click. You know, we call it like building blocks of just like you, you get just so sick and tired of that. And and I did. And I look at it now as like, there was some desperation in there of like, ugh, I, I never want to feel like this again. There was a whole lot of determination. And then there was just a little bit of hope of like, okay. And I immediately was like, am I going to AA? And I'm like, I don't want to go to AA because I don't want to forever be tied to alcohol if I'm not drinking it. And so, yeah, then I just started this like quest of like, hold on, let me just see. Like, let me just see what alcohol is. I didn't know it was ethanol. I didn't know how damaging it is to every part of us. I didn't know how addictive it is. Like, I didn't know anything. And I also then was like, how did I use it? This was probably a three-month process of just like really... Self-discovery and actually researching. 
How, and like when, telling the truth. And was that before, like, did you start sharing that right away with people or did you no. wait until, okay. You so this was January, like 2020. And so then, you know, the world shut down and, mm-hmm. and that was <laughs> a blessing and a, and a curse. I know, I know. <laughs> I look back now and I'm like, geez, it was like, great. I'm a superhero. It's incredible. But it was great because I didn't have to. Like there was nothing social. You were going to social events. So there no. wasn't, you only had to deal with your own voice, yes. not that like peer pressure or totally. the patterns that maybe you had I, been I used didn't to. have to deal with the noise and I could create my own little like bubble of like quitlets and sobriety podcasts. I had one in my ear like all day long and, and one ear out for the kids to make sure that they were still alive. But I was like, you know what? This is more important than anything right now. Like, let yeah, me just you know this, this out. could save your family life too. Because you, yeah. did you feel that that helped you because you needed to kind of have like the light at the end of the tunnel? Like, this is the big picture of this. Like, this is what's or, like, I how just did that- didn't, I didn't know anything. Like I had never, I wasn't sober curious leading up to the time that I stopped drinking. And so I, I, had never read this naked mind. Like I had never read these like Bibles of quitlet or anything. I didn't know. So you know were educating was... yourself essentially. Yes. And then slowly I was also, you know, like opening the doors of those times in my twenties and early thirties before getting married of like times that alcohol did come in and like wreak havoc and what happened. And so then once I started telling the truth about like, oh, any time like shit hit the fan, it was like alcohol was invited. That that is so fascinating. I was going to ask if your husband, was he relieved? Was he supportive? Was he, is, is he sober? Like, what does that do? Yeah, because how is he, does he drink? He does drink. His so we both were partiers before we got married. And then it was like a gradual, you know, like, and then once we had kids, obviously we're not partying, right? And so his drinking had changed overall anyway. He does still drink, but it's not nearly anything. Like we don't drink at home. It's, he'll drink, he'll have like two beers on the golf course. And and I've had to set boundaries about like, this is what I feel comfortable with. And this is what I expect, right? And in in a loving way, I asked him the other day, like how he felt, and he, he wasn't like. And this is also very common when women who are moderating successfully, right? Mo- and I say successfully, like in quotes, because moderating overall, moderating a highly addictive substance is very hard, and it's hell. It's just hell. You have to try to control something that's very uncontrollable, right? And moderating is hard because it works, right? If it didn't work, it would be very clear. Um, it's the same thing with gambling. Gambling is hard because sometimes you win, right? And so it's that same reward center in your brain and all of this stuff. But all like most of the women I talked to were, were drinkers like me, like moderating and and just trying to fit alcohol, trying to drink in a more orderly fashion and all of this stuff. But we don't tell anybody about our inner chatter of how yes, you're no one trying knows. to moderate. Or maybe like the drama said. that what happened, like you said, when the shit hit the fan, that like totally. maybe you're not telling the storyline behind that, like, oh, like that was a big argument or that was a big embarrassment or whatever it might be. And I call it in my group, I call it mold in the basement, right? Because we're just like, we're not talking about it. No, we're assuming that everyone else has this dance figured out and like can just moderate 
just fine and we are the problem. And so we just assume that we're the only ones struggling because and a lot of us don't even tell our partners about like, I would have shame even if I had two glasses of wine. The shame is the same. The shame would be the same for me of like, ugh, just not counting on myself, just kind of like, why can't I get a hold of this kind of thing? And so he wasn't, he wasn't like, oh, good. Yeah, you have to quit. He was like, huh. Okay. And so then he would just see, like, we went on a vacation like three weeks after I quit. And he was like, I bet she's going to drink. He didn't tell me that then, but that's what he was thinking going in. Right. And I didn't. And I was like, let me just, you know, how many vacations have I invited alcohol to? Okay. So I've done that research. Like, have I ever in my adult life been on vacation without alcohol, pregnancy doesn't count. And I always say pregnancy doesn't count. And then women are like, why doesn't pregnancy count? And I'm like, pregnancy doesn't count because you don't have the anxiety of like, well, yeah, is this forever? You know, that's what everybody well, that's, asks. That's a good point. Not forever. It's like you, you, you're, yeah, you don't get you, down the rabbit hole of being like, how's my social life change? How does my, right. you know. There, yeah. It's it's very socially acceptable and like expected not to drink when you're pregnant. And so there's, your brain doesn't get in the way. And oh, in sobriety, our brain and our what ifs and what abouts and like all of that stuff can really derail us. And so that's why pregnancy doesn't count. But isn't that, that's funny. That I just, I want to stop on that moment that you said that because it reminds me of a bad breakup. It totally is. Exactly. Or the ex-boyfriend like moving on with someone else. It's like, don't think about that. You can't think about that yet. Like, don't think, yeah, you have to well, be. that's in. when that practice of the presence comes in. It's like just being in the present. Like this is today. Like I know they talk about that, I think in alcohol. Yeah. And, and like, you know, I always say it's like breaking up with a toxic ex. When you're away from it at first, you can romanticize it, right? And be like, oh, but he's so hot and he's so tall, right? <laughs> but then you're like, <laughs> but oh then God. you're like, oh, wait, but he's like super narcissistic and made me feel like shit. So controlling. Yes. Yeah, and so after, controlling. The after effects are terrible. I feel right. awful after yes. my interactions. Yeah. That's the problem I had with AA and I never went. And if AA works for anybody listening, that's amazing. I, if if standing in on your head in the corner works for you, that's amazing, right? Like anything, whatever. But I didn't like like the shadow that alcohol casts when you're in AA. And like you're constantly tied to alcohol, like you're forever an alcoholic. You have to, and my sobriety has nothing to do with alcohol. Like that's the best part about it. What's so cool is that you've tapped into that because I think it does, like Elaine, you said that at the beginning, it opens up an avenue for people because there isn't just one way. And how we talked about how people don't relate to this one image sometimes of an alcoholic. And just because you're not a quote unquote alcoholic doesn't mean that sobriety isn't an option and in a different, let's say, path. Totally. With and, different and tools. It, it just comes down to like, can we just all tell the truth? Can we just like be like, hey, you guys, I've I've really struggled with this and I have felt shame. And like, has anybody else? Because I, I feel alone in this. And when we feel alone in something, we think something's wrong with us. Oh, this, this is- Which the, is I, shame. I agree with it. It's just shame. Which is, is shame. The, it's so exactly. um, paralyzing for people. And well, like, this is detrimental. Nell and I talked about this with even trying to start this podcast that we felt like a lot of times our conversations that were so honest- we're such mental health check-ins that we're like, God, we're so lucky. If we didn't have each other, like we could really feel isolated and alone. I, I want to um, ask Nell to tell this story that I thought
thought was really interesting about when she was at Miraval because it kind of comes down to what oh, you're Miraval, saying. Yeah. The, the, I know, I know. It's like, this was like the humanizing. I love, well, I love Miraval, but their alcohol, I, I've written a piece about how, because oh, we go every year. Yeah. It's insane. Okay. Well, you'll yeah, have to segue onto we, that because this is, this will, this will, this is more about me because, yeah, exactly. We, we, my husband and I had gone there. This was years ago, like the first time that I went. I think it was like nine years ago because I remember I was trying to get pregnant with the second child. Anyhow. In Tucson? Was it that one? It was a Tucson one. Yeah. Okay. And, and we did the, it's like, it's called Not About the Horse. And I still, I mean, yes, it was such a fun, I, I don't that. know if you remember this guy. Yes. Do you remember the one? He, he had the big beard, the white Wyatt beard. Wyatt or what? Yes, Wyatt. Yes, yes, yes. 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 That's yes. incredible. And I don't think he's there anymore because I've, no, he's you not. know, since then Googled, he's not. I no. mean, honestly, an angel, like I, I don't like he this He created man, he, that equine program oh, for them, goosebumps. right? Yes, yes. Yes. He has like, um, he looks like a cowboy, rustic, huge white beard. He was Tell your we story were, now. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Keep me on target. Come on, girl. Get there. (laughs) So we did this and it's not about the horse. And of course I volunteered first because I think I'm like so amazing with horses. I'm like, sure, fine, I'll do it. And um, you know, it was like they're approaching the horse, and like, of course, the horse steps away from me at the beginning, and I'm like, oh. And so he right away starts like the kind of talk therapy process. And I can't remember the exact script or pathway, but all I know is that within like a minute of us talking, you know, openly with the, maybe there was 20 people in the group. He got out of me that part of my fear somehow was connected to trauma with addiction in my family and alcohol in my family. Somehow I'm, I'm like saying that and crying already within the first two minutes. I'm like, what, who are you? What have you done to me? And then he looked out, he stopped and he was like, how many people here either have an alcoholic or addict in the family. I think it was specifically alcohol, if I'm correct, an alcoholic in the family or themselves are an alcoholic. Literally every single person raised their hand there, except for my husband. It was the most eye-opening, humanizing moment I've been through because I just realized how common it was. It, it was, it was both like inspiring and uninspiring because it was also like, wow, look at how much Again, the social acceptance of something creates such a gray area for people and creates such a kind of the blurred lines, like difficulty within families. There's so much like trauma, maybe generational. And we all know that drinking has changed, that the reputation of it has changed through the years. I mean, you watch Mad Men and it's like, all you want to do is smoke a cigarette and get like, I don't know, a, a neat cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and my, our mom talks about this because in her generation, she, she came from eight kids and she says her parents every day at 530 would have their martinis. They'd have two martinis each, which I think back, I'm like, well, if I had two martinis before dinner time, I'd be wasted. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. But that was, she was like, they weren't alcoholics, at, you know, at least in that time, because it was just more like part of their ceremonious part of the day. They're hige at the end of the day. Yeah. It was part of their routine. And then apparently the kids all did the cleanup. My my Nana, she would go off and go on a walk every night after dinner. Like she would, they would eat dinner and then she'd get up and leave and the kids would do the dishes and clean up and everything. So she, she was off duty apparently. But, but the point is, is that yes, there's times where like that was way more socially acceptable. I don't know if like my husband could have two martinis on any day and have me think that's normal um, or socially acceptable nonetheless. It's moved on to women, right? Like it, it's it's moved on to women and to moms, and it's very. Uh, that's not an accident. It's not just because like Etsy started selling, you know, Mama needs wine T-shirts. It's because big alcohol is 
customers kept dying of liver disease and cancer and all these things that alcohol causes, and they needed a new market. Well, like, this is insane. My mind is like really blowing right now. And so, yeah, like, I mean, the, I've never thought sta- about this. You've this, researched this, this is, and whatnot. Like, yeah. this sounds like something oh, you're yeah. like working oh, on. Yes, like yes. And if you read "Quit Like a Woman" by Holly Whitaker, that's in there too. But yeah, and so we think, you know, and this is where I take issue with like the mommy influencers like Molly Sims and like on Instagram where it's like, isn't this cute that I can, you know, I'm thinking of like Kate Upton, who I ran into at Disney World PS. And I was Stop like, because she's oh, a Florida huh. girl, right? Yeah. And then, yeah. And I had just called her out. She didn't know who I was, but like had just had just like reposted her like video about she poured three white claws. Also, all of these seltzers, you know, it's a women drink. Okay. All of these like better tastings. Right. And so she she pours like three white claws into a Stanley and is like, this is how I, you know, deal with motherhood. And I'm like, is she getting paid? I was just going to say, is she sponsored then? No. So she's not getting paid by White Claw. What she's doing is trying to be relatable and funny. Right. But what she's actually doing is perpetuating this idea that moms need, it's not a, it's, it's glamorizing essential. for sure. Yeah, it's glamorizing yes. it. And it's to their survival as a for motherhood. Like it's not a question. And, and not only alcohol, but binge drinking alcohol and hiding it. Like if you're drinking alcohol in your Stanley cup because you're going out of the house, right? Like what, like what are we teaching? And I don't think she's doing that. Okay. No, she's being influenced by the culture and the normalization in general. That's a good point. Like you don't think she's actually doing that. She's just trying to be funny, but it's kind of irresponsible. But her followers are. And her followers are looking and being like, oh, good. I'm not the only one, right? Good. I'm not the only one. This is fine. Nothing to see here. Yeah, this isn't, I, I shouldn't feel guilty about this. Like, right. And this isn't judging her followers. This is judging the top, right? So this is judging big alcohol and, and influencers who are tricking their followers into thinking that they need alcohol for motherhood. I was once the perpetrator and the victim because I worked for Kettle One Botanicals when, you know, it came out with the, you know, when Kettle One in 2017 came out with like the pretty bottles and it was like, oh, this is good for you because there's flowers on it and it's botanicals. So obviously, and it was vodka. And so they hired me for a campaign and I, and this is 2017, right? So I was newly into influencing and monetizing and like it was kind of the wild wild west and I didn't know you know uh, morals what 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 are those and so I was like sure yeah I'll take your money and make this look pretty and then I poured it down the drain because I just never was a vodka drinker but you would never know looking at my Instagram like on Saturday afternoon I'm drinking this new pretty botanical ethanol and still can like have great skin right it's dark. What's so interesting is it's so it's so reminiscent of like the the tobacco industry it's, in a way. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. And yeah, alcohol is coming into its tobacco moment and its cigarette moment. I think we're probably, you know, 10, 15 years away from it, but we're that it's linked to seven cancers. Like when when you see like breast cancer, like Susan G. Komen stuff on wine bottles, it's the same exact thing as you would see like, you know, something for lung cancer on cigarettes. Like that it's because it's causes, it's been known to cause seven different kinds of cancer. And we don't know that. We just don't know it. 
Uh, no, I, I've never heard that government. before, to be honest with you. Right. I mean, you never, you know that alcohol isn't healthy for you and it's on every doctor form. How often do you drink and how many um, alcoholic beverages per week? Luckily for me, I'm like two, you know, if that, but like, so I, it's never a concern, but yes, like there's people who drink every single night. And even if it's two glasses of wine while they're cooking, like that's maybe information that they should have that there are these side effects that could cause seven kinds of cancer that you just said. And how addictive, like, I didn't know it was more addictive than meth. Like I didn't know. Yeah, this it's is, in the- that's fascinating to me because I actually never really <laughs> thought of that. alcohol. I, I thought of like, as the way that I've seen alcohol used is as a way to basically like use in like OCD settings, like to calm like people who are self-medicating. Which is totally not the case. It spikes anxiety. It like, it doesn't, it it messes with all of your neurotransmitters, your serotonin, your dopamine, your GABA. It, it makes them all off whack, even when you're not drinking it. So even after you're drinking you know, if you drink Saturday and Sunday, your body's just trying its best. Your body's going to like, because it's a depressant that acts as a stimulant. And so if whether or not you struggle with depression or anxiety, it's going to screw up all of that stuff. And then it's also going to make you, it also like pretty much impossible to find just like that joy and get that dopamine from everyday scenarios yes, because it's been the so messed up. It's been yes. so messed up. Like the, the chemicals in your brain. It, so your, it, re- your regular activities that would naturally produce dopamine are actually now hindered. Is this why John Mayer said that sobriety is boring at first? Do you totally. remember when he came out? I, I love yes. that when he said that. Yes. He was like, I it's like it, co- it brings and life down and then it kind of slowly starts coming back. I, I, I that's that actually means. a very good, like a, like a very um, com- commercial, not commercial way, but like pedestrian way to say something yes. scientific. Well, and I think that it's so true. And we hear fr- about this from women all the time. Like now that I've stopped drinking, yeah, like I'm bored. I always say, okay, there are a couple ways to go with that. So there's less chaos, right? There's going to be less drama, less chaos, less fights. And that's good. But also, so what do we what do we want our kids to do? Right. So we don't want our kids to always be on screens and occupied. What happens when we let our kids get bored? They figure out what they like to do. Right. And they're like, Creativity oh, OK, bursts. they get creative and they're like, oh, I really like this. And th- they'll make like all of these like I'm like, oh, my God, look, they're making they're like in the sea on these blankets and their imaginations go wild. Right. The same happens with us. But since most of us have been drinking since. 16, 17, 18, we don't know what we like. If we're constant, if alcohol has just constantly been at like, you know, every weekend, every vacation, every concert, every, every event, every party, every, like we generally then don't know, uh, am I an introvert? Am I an extrovert? What makes me feel good? Like, do I have social anxiety? what makes me happy, what makes me fulfilled, what, all of these things, like we just don't know. And so we look at that, like we always talk about that in the Sober Mom Life Cafe as something that's so exciting. Like it's so exciting, changes your life. I started the podcast almost two years ago. And I get to talk to all these cool people and influencers and authors, and it's amazing. And 
I also started a Facebook page, like kind of to support the podcast. And that grew so quickly that I was like, okay, I need something like we're now at like over, we're at like 55,000 women. Why do you think the, why do you think the Facebook page grew so quickly? What is that about? I I think women just want a place that isn't AA that they can talk about how moderation sucks and like find freedom and sobriety. I think age related. I wonder if there's also like with Facebook, that kind of is like the people in their forties and exactly 40 plus. Yeah. Well, and also Instagram is going crazy too with all of like, like Gen Z and millennials, I think have this baby boomers are the ones who are drinking. Their drinking is on the rise. Everybody else's drinking is declining. So it's, it's definitely the older people who are drinking more, but okay. Anyway. And so then I, so since Facebook then became like it's its own little town or city that I was like, I need a place where just, we can, we can meet. So we have meetings six days a week, peer support meetings that we just talk about this. And we're like, you guys, and are you there every meeting? I, I'm not, I was, but now that it's, now that it's grown, we have like 400 and some women, it's $25 a month, but we have, we have meetings. My mom hosts them. She's a therapist. Audrey is a girl who's helped me so much. We have Jen, like we just have these people leading meetings. We have book club, we have a retreat coming up. And so it's all just like women, just like this being like, okay, can we just talk about, you know, alcohol and how it's affected us and our shame around it and how to deal with triggers and cravings and friendships and husbands. So you're seeing the need and every time you see it, you kind of like keep creating the next, the next space and the next, like, even when you say retreat, I'm like, you're ahead of it. Like, you're like, you know what? This would be special. Yeah. I, I just am creating what I needed in January, 2020. Do you find that the people in these forums, are they all sober or a lot of them are experimenting with the idea or it's kind of a mix? Like, do you have to be sober to be part of it? No. And it was really important to me to, to include sober, curious women, because right now they don't have a place to go. It's just, you're on your own, figure it out, drink like everybody else in an orderly fashion or else. Right. And, and I didn't want that. I wanted, that's what I wanted for someone to be like, okay, so right, what is this about? Like, I don't love my relationship with alcohol, but I'm terrified of giving it up. And what would that mean? And so then we have women who are still drinking. And then I, I say like the most important thing is just to show up and tell the truth. That's it. And it's no judgment. Like you're never going to say something in those meetings. And people will be like, oh my God, I can't believe you did you're that. Out. We're, we're going to say like, yep. <laughs> Yes, we're with you. I love that. I love that because yeah. I've listened to some of your podcasts now and I, and I really, I mean, I told you this when I saw you, like, I'm always like, wow, the people are so honest and I, it's so, I really do appreciate it because I think these stories, it has to be cleansing to tell, to yes. get it off of your chest and to, and to admit mistakes yes. that you made that were honestly like that you would never have done sober. Yeah. And it has to be a safe place to tell it. Right. And so like we have some Sunday meetings, topic meetings, and it's just on shame. And it's, and at the retreat, we're doing a shame seance. And it's like, tell me, like, what are you most shameful of? Like, speak it, say it, because as you say it, it's going to lose its power. It's that mold in the basement, right? If we don't say it, if we don't look at it, it's going to grow. It's just going to, and it's like, no, you're not alone. You're not alone in the mistakes you've made. You're, that's also not you. That's alcohol. We talked about that a lot in um, my sister and I and our family, even the idea that it's like, with people who have a, an addiction to something, 
it's the addiction is separate from the from the person. And I think, you know, when someone's trying to defend their addiction or their vice. Because anyone who's addicted to it, they, they will protect it over anything else. The, and, and they'll kind of weaponize that. And it's like, like, this is, they, they relate it to themselves. And my sister and I have always had to deal with that idea of like, this isn't you. You are you. We love you. We don't love the alcohol. You don't even have to be addicted to feel that shame. Like that shame isn't you. Right. And like that shame, even if you're not addicted to alcohol, like for you to examine your relationship with it and just be your have your eyes open. Right. Like don't wait to become addicted. When this is one of the questions we wanted to ask you is, is sobriety for everyone or is it something where people can you already talked about moderation. Is it something that people can play with and be like, you know what, I'm just going to take six months off or I'm going to take three months off or I don't know, a month off. Is that kind of a dangerous create like a binge and purge cycle? Everyone has their own journey as far as their relationship with alcohol. Yes, sobriety is for everyone. Yes, everyone qualifies for a full life without alcohol. It would be the same and and I do this as a mental exercise all the time. Like if someone said, is a life without cigarettes for everyone? I would say, yes, everyone can benefit from a life without cigarettes, right? And so, yes, everyone can qu- qualifies for sobriety. Everyone can have a full life without alcohol. How you get there and whether or not you want it is a, is a different story. I think any break that you give your body from alcohol and your brain from alcohol, your mental health from alcohol is amazing and is a win. So if that's three months, if that's six months, I also urge women to zoom out. And so it's not this pass fail thing. We never say we're on day one because you're bringing all of that with you. And so if you set out to do like 100 days without alcohol and you end up drinking on day 38, you had 37 days without alcohol. That's amazing. And what did you learn in there? And what did you learn when you when it came back in? And how do you feel? And now your your eyes are opening a little bit every time. And, you know, if you zoom out, you're probably getting to a place where you're like, oh, you know what? I see this now. I see how alcohol affects me. I see that life is definitely not over without alcohol. And so it's just... It's not this black and white, pass, fail, you, not you. You know, it's, yes, sobriety's for everybody. Yeah, no, no, no. That's really, it's really good. It is good to know. But I mean, because I think like, again, a lot of our listeners are are not, you know, we're, we're not a sober podcast. So it's it's kind of like I we said before we did this, like, yeah, we don't want to alienate anyone. I mean, we're not sober, you know, but we do believe in like, like checking in and just in life period and being conscious of decisions. And that's why we try to bring topics to the table that are demanding that, demanding that. We make choices that are unsafe, unhealthy every day, but it's just about talking about it around alcohol. We've been taught just not to talk about it. Like don't talk about your relationship with alcohol. Don't talk about any shame you feel. Don't talk about it. And so I'm just saying, well, no, let's talk about it. And, and let's talk about it honestly so that we don't feel alone. I love it. How do you, because I, I talk about this too. We know that like in our households, we demonstrating behavior of how we want our kids. It's like, yeah, you can't tell your kids not to yell if you're constantly yelling. Right. It's like, right. It's, it's just, ugh, yeah. it's like, oh, I guess like I should spanking. stop yelling. Like what? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes. So yes. like, what do you, do you have, do you even think that far ahead when you think about your kids and like, we yeah. know at some point they're going to be exposed to partying and like, yeah. that's going to be happening. Do you think about how you're going to cross that bridge or do you have ideas? Yeah, for sure. I, the best book about this is is The Addiction Inoculation by Jessica Leahy. And she was on my podcast. And yes, for sure. I grew up a Gen X kid, just taught, this is your brain on drugs. No one said anything about alcohol to me. And the thing that I do with my kids and with all of them, they're four, six, and nine, I just tell the truth. Like, we don't have to villainize alcohol. We just have to tell the truth about it. What is it? What does it do to your brain? Your brain, you know, the the sooner you begin drinking alcohol, the the more likely it is that you will become addicted. That's just the science of it. And your brain isn't done developing until you're 25. It can really hinder brain development. And so you just, we just it, tell the I'm truth. I'm sure it increases like the chances of depression or anxiety totally. and all those things too. And, I'm just, and I think more what I do day to day, and this is probably the biggest misconception about me is that I'm just going around in my daily life like preaching sobriety and talking about the dangers of alcohol, which I'm not. Like, I don't talk about it with my friends. Like, I just don't. That's my job. And then, yeah, I have, I'm not like this proselytizer on the corner being like, no, alcohol. Yeah. Like teetotaler. Yay. I, it's not that. And so the, the way that my kids see, I think the best thing that I've taught them through my sobriety is recognizing how I feel and then saying what I need. And I see them doing that. And when I can see them doing that, I'm like, okay. When I hear my six-year-old being like, I am so frustrated or I need attention and I'm feeling so sad, I need a hug. Like that to me, I'm like, holy shit, great. Okay. They hear a mom who just is knows how she feels and then says what she needs. And that I think is the biggest gift. Yeah, for me of sobriety, for sure. Okay, well, and then I, I do want to kind of talk about the, you keep mentioning the book deal. So I kind of want to say like, well, what does the future hold for you, Miss Suzanne? What does the future hold? When are we going to go buy your book? Tell I me. Don't, I know. I don't know. I, if I have learned anything in the last like six months is that the book publishing world is so slow and things take so long. I have a couple calls next week with editors who are very interested and and will So you're pitching a book basically is what you're Yeah, doing. I have an agent, I have a book agent. We're we're pitching it and uh they're interested. And so let's just keep everything crossed and then I gotta write the thing. I'm so impressed by you with the con like to me it seems like you have so much content to pull from. Like you've really done your work, your homework, your research. Preparation meets opportunity. There you go. That That's what's happening. Oprah, that, that's my Oprah. I can't steal that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suzanne, but what are your goals around being a voice for sober moms or being that person that's like holding the space, cultivating that space for, for quote unquote sober moms? Like what are some of your long-term goals with that? I know. I don't know. I always say I just build the plane as I fly it. Like I kind of just jump. And then as long as I can create a space where women can talk about their shame and not feel judged and um, that we can just support moms in ways that are healthy and that they need. I I feel like that's all I want to do. And so wherever that leads and as long as I continue to do that, I'll be happy. This is just like my my life's goal. 
I love that. And you know what? I just listened to that Michelle Obama interview with Jay Shetty. They talked about, both of them talked about this idea as you get older, being open and receptive. And instead of being like, you know, as you get older, if people become more closed off, more judgmental, all these like emotional caveats that that can kind of just make you more closed off in life. And it just doesn't, it doesn't do anything good for you. It doesn't assist you in the process of like, of aging happily. And I love that, this idea of being open and receptive and yes. And so that, that kind of reminds me of what you're doing. The space that you're creating also to me seems so inclusive. It seems that it would be helpful for not even people who are considering stopping drinking. It seems like it's just this very diverse space for it's healing amazing. Yes, in general. And for I like mean, you said, just, sharing. Yes. I think that moms specifically and just women need a space that that their voice can be heard and that they can say like, no, my feelings matter and they're not being met and they deserve to be met. Like I, I need something and it's okay. And it's necessary for moms to need something and for us to be able to say what we need and get it. Beautiful. Love yeah. it. Thank Love you it. for sharing. Well, thank you. I think this was like a really great, I don't know if there's anything else now well, that there you want to say. We had one last question that was that, and I, I feel like you've touched on all of this, but it was, how has becoming sober changed your life mostly? And like, you can say that in a big, long sentence. You can say it in a few words. You guys know I never, I never just have a few words, but. (laughs) (laughs) You can make it a really long run on sentence if you'd like. Okay. Okay. I mean, man, it has, it's changed everything. I mean, it's from the outside, it's changed everything. But I think that the most important is from the inside. I can trust myself. And as you know, I was a little girl who didn't have anybody to trust. And I didn't, I didn't learn how to do that. I didn't learn that people were trustworthy and that I could trust myself. And I, in my sobriety, have taught myself that not only can I trust myself, but that I'm worth it and I deserve it. And that I think has been, it's just been the, the gift of a lifetime. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's like, wow, I feel like we could ask you so many more questions on that one. Like, I know, oh, I know. That, that's Thank beautiful. You. It's really beautiful. I want to tell our listeners, go follow yeah. Suzanne at My Kind of Sweet on Instagram and have a listen to her podcast. We'll make sure we link everything when we drop Good. this. Thank you. And if you see me, if you see me walking around our town, I promise you I'm not judging your drinking. <laughs> that's a whole other. <laughs> Good. That's a whole it's other so thing. Important. Yeah, yes. I'm sure that's, I'm not that's, I'm not judgmental of you or your drinking. I just want the best for moms. That's it. You know what, Suzanne? I think and that's a really good point because that's what we say. Even when we did like we did a tech talk one and we did like, you know, it's important that we're like the baseline has to be non-judgment. The baseline has to be that we're trying to work together. You start from there trying and then to it's support the each other. Of ideas because it's again getting out of the closet, not feeling alone in these situations. Yes, exactly. And thank, thank you so much you. for like, just for, for, for your space period, whether or not, like, I, I just think you're doing such an important service to so many people and yourself first, but then opening thank the door you. for people is just such a beautiful offering. Thank you, ladies. I loved this. Thank you I feel so like I want to just hang you. out. Oh my God. I thank know. you. Oh my God. <laughs> thank you for being here. All right. Thanks.
It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.